0: You're listening to the EFC Podcast. 6% of Canadians today could be called evangelical affiliates. One in five Canadians are willing to have you invite them to church. And great news, we are not so intolerant after all. I know all of this because of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada's 2019 Survey of Faith in Canada. Chief researchers Rick Heemstra of the EFC and Sam Reimer of Moncton's Crandall University unpack some of the most startling findings of this survey in the interview you're about to hear. The January-February issue of Faith Today magazine has even more, so email me, Karen Stiller, at senior editor at faithtoday.ca if you'd like a copy. So first of all, I would love to hear why you did this survey, and if you can just give us a really simplified bird's eye view of what you discovered, Rick.
1: The uh, EFC does these surveys about once every five years. Uh, they are tracking surveys looking at church and faith trends in Canada, and so uh What we discovered is that there's sort of been a general drop in religiosity in Canada. And we'll probably get into that later in the podcast about the different measures, but it's things like religious affiliation and attendance.
0: And so when we say religiosity, we're talking about the people's faith lives and how they act on them, I guess.
1: Yeah, we're we're talking about things like beliefs and behaviors. So things like how often did you attend religious services? How often did you pray? Uh, how important is uh, your faith in your day to day life? Um, those kinds of things.
0: Okay, and for you, Sam, in particular, with your uh, you're a scholar, you do research. Were there any big surprises in these results?
2: Well, one surprise for me was the um, the size of the evangelical group, which was smaller than I expected. Um, the general decline was expected, but I think what we're finding is an acceleration for a lot of reasons um, in the speed in which the decline is happening, particularly disaffiliation, people who are no longer who may have been sort of marginal or not very committed members of say uh, Catholic or Protestant denomination. Um, are now just dropping out and saying they are, you know, they're, they're, they're disaffiliated. They're nuns.
0: So can you share give us some, some of the numbers. We don't want to get bogged down in, in numbers, but let's offer a snapshot of, of some of these surprising decline numbers that you found.
1: Sure. So when we're talking about affiliation, there's different ways that we've measured this. But on our survey, we found that about half of Canadians now would say that they're either atheist, agnostic, spiritual or nuns, that they have no sort of religious affiliation. And that's different than than what we've seen in the past. Even a few years ago, you would have, when we did similar polls, you would have had over 60% of Canadians would have said that they were Christian of some kind. And indeed, on the last census, or in about 2011, I think about 67% of Canadians said that they had a Christian religious affiliation of some kind. When we're looking at attendance, about 60% of Canadians told us on this survey that they didn't attend a a religious service in the last 12 months and that's quite different if we go way back to say 1946 you would have had 67% of Canadians telling George Barna just after the Second World War that they were in a place of worship in the last seven days so massive declines now if you look at today probably about 11% of Canadians would say that they were in a place of worship in the last seven days.
0: I thought, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the, the Christmas and Easter bunch, I think we used to call them. So, uh, you know, the people who come only for holiday services or C- Christmas and Easter, the high feasts, I guess. Um, so when you talk about people not attending in the last 12 months, have we seen even those numbers drop off of people who sort of barely attend?
1: Yeah, the the, the Christmas and Easter uh, Christians or or, or of any faith, the people that go just a few times a year, that's about 20% of the Canadian population. So you've got 60% that okay. never attend, another 20% that attend just uh, a few times a year.
0: So I have this idea uh, that it's the mainline churches and the mainline denominations who are struggling. And I think that's the story that we've been telling. And uh, it's what we thought were true, but was true. Sam, what, what did this survey uh, tell us about that?
2: Right. So I think you are right that the mainline Protestants are continuing to decline. We're talking about the United Church, the Anglicans, the, most of the Presbyterians and Lutherans uh, continue to struggle, and they're continuing to decline. And part of the answer for that is that they're not drawing immigrants like the other groups are. The Catholics and the uh, evangelical Protestants are doing better in drawing immigrants, and we know that the immigrants attend more often than do native-born Canadians. So in general, those numbers are propping up groups that might be declining more quickly, based simply on, you know, number of children, fertility rates, and that kind of thing, uh, which are declining in Canada in general.
0: I had this idea, and I, I'm—I know people have said this to me before—that uh, evangelical churches are holding their own or growing because they preach the gospel. That's that's the sort of story that is out there. Does the influx of the immigrant? population contradict that idea or is it one and the same? Do immigrants go to evangelical churches because they are perceived as more biblically faithful? Or how do you separate these things?
2: The sociology sociologist in me says that these things are are stronger based on demography. That's what is easier to track. So We look at the number of immigrants who are coming in who affiliate with evangelicalism and that percentage is slightly higher than the number of evangelicals who exist in canada already so we're having a little bit of a positive based on immigration now why these immigrants choose these churches is partly is it based on a variety of things a lot of these have pentecostal or charismatic leanings and so those people naturally come and join an evangelical church of some stripe often one that is pentecostal or charismatic um, some of them come particularly those groups that are from korea and other places who would you know belong to say a methodist or a Presbyterian. A denomination they would often join in there and find maybe that the group isn't quite as conservative as they thought and might uh switch over time, so we get some of uh, some of both that way. Is the gospel preaching itself important? I think it is, and as a sociologist, I would say that the reason for that partly is because. A more orthodox uh, faith is one that is more distinctive, gives people a stronger sense of identity, and is more likely to keep people in the pews than one that is too similar to the status quo uh, of societal norms around.
1: And I would just add to what Sam said that you know when we're thinking about religiosity and religious participation, there's kind of a, a basket of things that that go together. It's it's not simply Orthodox faith, but it's also Orthodox practice, and it's how often you actually participate in church life. And I think that. Some of what we're seeing in this decline is is a decline of participation. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we went to church on Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday evening. Uh, I was in choir practice Thursday night. Uh, sometimes I, I didn't necessarily go when I was a kid, but there was prayer meeting on Wednesday, and then there was youth group on Friday. And it wasn't just that we were participating in, in um worship service on Sunday morning once a week, hearing good preaching, good Orthodox preaching, but it, it was that this was our community, and there's something very powerful about that 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 keeps and holds you in a church.
0: Yeah, interesting. I grew up in the United Church, and um, I think my experience was we we did not go that often because that wasn't part of the culture, but what I do remember is that everybody went. Like it was weird if you didn't attend church. Like it was the, you know, outlier people who didn't attend church services. So that is definitely a big change that we can all see, of course. And I and I would say that um, that I'm guessing we all know people who have stopped going to church. I certainly know lots of, you know, middle aged people who years ago to me were very devout. Christians who have kind of given up on the church. So can you talk about the age span too of people who don't go? Because it's not just young people, right?
2: Right. There's a lot of people who are baby boomers, particularly. Bibi and others have argued that the real drop-off has been the baby boom generation, which has sort of set the catalyst for the next generation who have not been as religiously socialized to also be lower in attendance. So I think we have people from older all the way to younger, but in general, we're not just seeing an age cohort effect, but also a life course effect where people attend less as they age, just because of the reasons you mentioned, Karen, the natural cultural supports for religious participation are declining in general. So it's not weird to, you know, to not go to church anymore. In fact, it's kind of weird to go to church.
0: Right. Rick, what do you say about this age thing? Like you have a family of teenagers mostly now and you are, if I can say, (laughs) middle-aged like myself. What are you seeing with your friends and and your children's friends, for example? Are Are they going to church? Do they want to?
1: Well, so my kids, they they attend a, a Catholic school here in Ontario. We're Protestants, but we send our kids to a Catholic school. And my kids will say that in a classroom of nearly 30 students, there will maybe be two that attend uh, church regularly. And and it's, it's often the Protestants and then just a, a few Catholics. So that's true. On our street, uh, there are a couple of families that would go to church, but uh, that's about it. And it's just a foreign idea. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, at least nominal Catholics on our street, and you can talk to them about their church participation occasionally. But the idea that they would go, it's just kind of a foreign idea.
0: The survey also touched on uh, people being willing to accept an invitation. To church, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was one in five Canadians indicated they were very willing to accept the invitation of a friend to church. Can you uh, speak to that a little bit? Like it, that sounds kind of high to me. I was surprised that that many Canadians would be willing to come to church with me.
1: Well, I, I would say this, that it, it probably varies based on age, and I'd have to look at, at how that changes. But there's a lot of people that don't have an experience of church. You know, sometimes what seems surprising is because we think that people will have a negative reaction to uh, an invitation to church. But if you've never been to church, you probably don't have those same negative associations. And so why wouldn't you be open to church as a new thing in the same way that you'd be open to any new thing?
0: Yeah, I would say like I will say that resonates with my own experience as I meet people who have never been and therefore they don't have a like a lot of hang-ups about it and they actually seem quite curious about it and um I may be shy to talk about my faith but they're actually quite interested in discussing it and it, do you think that's true Sam is that does that vibe with what you think?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um I'm 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 hesitant to be too optimistic, and part of the reason uh, for that is because um, for someone to say I'm open to the possibility might just be them flagging their general openness and, you know, uh, uh, willingness to try new things or something, as opposed to if you actually ask them, will you come to church this Sunday with me? Um, there might be a variety of reasons why they cannot and you know their schedule is filled with whatever uh, activities going on. so this is this is related to some of the work that Joel Thiessen has done and uh, he has found that uh, bibby's uh, well-known question of you know would you re- would you come to church if you found it worthwhile Most people, even those who wrote that it said you know I might find it uh, I, I would be willing to go if I found it worthwhile uh, when actually pressed are unlikely to actually go so, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about those questions, but you know, the actual scheduling and getting the person in the pew might be a lot harder than their verbalized openness to go.
0: <laughs> right. Yes, that makes good sense. You also, in the sur- survey, uh, you talked about uh, and asked about the issue of tolerance and religious affiliation. Can you walk us through first uh, why you asked questions about that? Um, what kinds of questions you asked, just in a general way and what you were trying to find out.
2: I was really interested in this area of tolerance. Actually in Canada now, the whole idea of tolerance isn't terribly popular. The idea of tolerance sounds kind of like we should be tolerating people instead of celebrating diversity and embracing, you know, difference, which is much more of a Canadian idea. But I personally think the idea of tolerance is still important because anytime you have a pluralistic, diverse society, like we do in Canada, there will be ideas, behaviors, whatever that you do not agree with. And so the question is, are we willing to allow people their basic rights, their civil liberties, their, you know, the opportunity to live as they please within reasonable limits, even if we disagree or might even find their behavior reprehensible or offensive or whatever else. So I think in any diverse society, going back to John Stuart Mill and all the people who originally talked about this, tolerance is indeed an important idea. So the idea of tolerance is really, are you willing to give people civil liberties or are you willing to accept, put up with, behaviors ideas that you disagree with or oppose
0: okay and right away I was thinking so I'm interested in what religious people said about that but I also think it's a big question for how we as people of religion are tolerated or not in our country so were you trying to get at that too
2: yes I was um, I think the general view out there first of all was that people who are religious particularly conservative religious or committed religious people tend to be intolerant. And uh, I think this is a general view out there, whatever traditional, dogmatic, narrow-minded, whatever uh, is the general view out there. So I was particularly interested in whether or not that was the case using a method of measuring tolerance that I thought was most fitting. So I was particularly interested in that, but there's also a sense of, you know, uh, there's also a variety of groups that we Uh, asked about. And we wanted to know what people how people felt about those groups or about those rights. There were also some questions in the survey.
0: Okay, so tell us what you found out. Um, Are we the most intolerant people in Canada? Or what? What can you tell us?
2: Right. So the the way that we measured it was uh, a strategy called the least like method, uh, which basically means we listed a whole bunch of groups that we think some people would be opposed to unpopular groups. And we asked them to choose the group. We asked the respondents in the survey to choose the group that they liked the least. Okay. Um, and from that group that they chose, we would ask them a variety of sort of basic human rights, civil liberties questions like, hmm. would a person in this group be allowed to teach your children or, you know, hold a public rally in your town or have a book in the library uh, that is freely allowed to be checked out? So would you be comfortable with that in your disliked group, your group do you dislike the most? And what we found was that based on these criteria, religion basically had nothing to do with it. Um, uh the people who were committedly religious uh, were not more likely to be intolerant uh, the people who were conservatively religious were not more likely to be intolerant religion basically was a wash across the board so that we found that people who were um atheists agnostics, spiritual nuns were about at the same level uh using this criteria as someone who would have been a committed christian or a committed
0: muslim wow i find that Super interesting. Um, Sam, can you? I think people would be curious what your groups were. Is it, is, can you list them off? Your least sure, liked the, groups?
2: Yeah, there's a long list of groups. And uh, one of the problems with this methodology and before has been that everybody cling, uh most people cling on to a group that uh, everybody finds not popular. So uh, commonly, you know, the vast majority pr- would choose a group like, uh, klu klux klan or something but our groups were communists pro-life activists uh pro-choice activists radical muslims anti-gay activists pro-gay activists evangelical christians fundamentalist christians atheists satanists fascists, fascists racist radical uh feminists and radical environmentalists and then we gave them an option to fill in a group that they chose
0: wow that is so interesting so what, what does this, I mean, to me, this is good news that religious people did not come off as more intolerant. Um, were you surprised by that? Like, tell me, tell me your feelings and thoughts around this result.
2: Well, I think many people would be surprised. I personally was not surprised because in the past, when we used this least like method in places like the U.S. and in Europe, uh, religion really didn't have much to do with it at all. When, when we have found religious commitment to be strongly connected with tolerance was when we used a different method, which was that we've already pre-selected the groups. So when we have what we call the fixed group method, where they, they're asked to re- uh, respond to certain groups say communists or atheists or whatever else the argument is that the groups listed have been biased against people who are strongly religious um, and so this method i'm suggesting avoids that because they all choose the group that they like the least and so then the religious effect really isn't an is is, is really uh, a wash
0: okay so why do we have uh, i mean i can think of some obvious reasons i guess but why do we have this reputation as being So intolerant? Is it because of the issues that religious people tend to speak out about?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, Karen. I mean, one of the issues, well, overall, religious people are not more intolerant when we use this method. Uh, If we ask about certain groups, say LGBTQ, then uh, what happens is that the religious people are more, uh, are, are shown to be more intolerant, more prejudiced. However, the measure is is done. But uh, then again, that's that's about the selection of the group. So because that issue is such a front of mind issue now, that tends to be equated. Plus there's this general idea that people who are religious are dogmatic. They hold their beliefs very tightly. And so it's my way or the highway kind of attitude. My beliefs are right and everybody else's is wrong. A stereotype of people who are religious, which is true of, of course, some people who are religious, but sure. uh, the majority, I would say, that is not true of, including those no. who are committed.
1: Yeah. I, I think too that we're, we're less tolerant of ideas or behaviors that touch us most closely. And, and so, you know, that we had three questions that, that we asked in, in this, uh, least like method. You know, we asked about whether people could uh, teach kids in a public school, whether they could hold public rallies in your town, and then whether they could place a book in the public library. And so the ones that, that seem to touch us most closely, the, people were least tolerant of uh, allowing their, someone they, they didn't like to teach uh, kids in a public school. Next, it was in uh, holding a public rally and finally in a library. And I think that this this just sort of shows that, you know, people probably don't think that a book in the public library would touch their lives as closely as if they had kids, say, allowing somebody to teach their kids.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of the whole cancel culture we have right now where people actually get really upset about a speaker coming to a library, for example. I mean, that was a big controversy in Toronto recently. And uh, I mean, it feels sometimes to me like our culture is becoming more intolerant of diversity of ideas. And what do you guys think about that?
2: Well, I think um, that in general, a lot of the groups were becoming more tolerant of, um, but any group that is considered or viewed to be intolerant, we have very low tolerance of. So <laughs> right. um, that I think that's generally where we're going in Canada. And we're choosing instead uh, to allow people civil liberties like free speech in certain situations if they're viewed as intolerant to or threatening at all to our pluralistic, diverse society. Uh, those kinds of people tend to be shut down
0: let's shift a little bit and talk about, uh, religion in the public square. Then what was, uh, did your survey reveal, uh, any surprising or new attitudes about that? Like how, even how religious people view their role in the public square. Um, Rick, anything on that?
1: Yeah, we, we asked some questions about, you know, the place of say proselytism or evangelism in the public square and whether religion was a private matter. And w- we looked at this, uh, According to religiosity, we could look at it a number of different ways. But uh, what we found generally is that the more religious you are, the more concerned you are that proselytism be allowed in the public square or that religion be, uh, or religious ideas be allowed to uh, be expressed in public debates. And so, in, in a way, that's not so surprising. I suppose what is surprising a little bit, or maybe concerning is the better word, is to the extent to which people seem unwilling to allow religion to have a place in the public square. So um, if you were looking at those that are very religiously uncommitted, according to our religiosity scale, probably about 80% would, uh, would agree that religion, say, should be a private matter or that proselytism, uh, slightly less, but about 70% would say that proselytism should be banned in the public square.
0: Very interesting. Sam, for you, um, looking at this public square, I mean, you're in academia, but you are at a Christian university, Crandall University. Um, do you think about this changing public square reality in Canada? Are you, What are you thinking and writing about that these days?
2: Yeah, I think that we've really seen a sea change in this area in the last 50, 60 years where the church used to have the right to evaluate society they were sort of the prophetic voice that was able to speak into society and say thou shalt or thou shalt not Um, now we've seen that completely switched where the society now is the judge of religion and so uh, people who are religious have lost uh, people who are religious spokespersons, uh, priests, uh, religious leaders, um, now are no longer have that sort of authority that they used to have to speak into the public sphere. And so that switch in authority, which we sometimes call secularization, um, has been a very important change. And as a result, a lot of the voices that were religious and were able to speak at, into society have been uh, have been silenced or at least uh, ignored.
1: I think something else is going on in our society too is that you know we sometimes talk about it in terms of civility you know our ability to have uh, disagreements in a public place and to have those be productive conversations and I think that there's a, a there's a sense that we are losing the skills in order to disagree well in the public space and I think you know some of that has to do you know this is this is sort of a, a personal opinion but of the role of social media in our lives and the way that it teaches us to interact. It's a very different kind of platform where you rarely see productive conversations on social media where people are disagreeing. Those either tend to get shut down and and that propensity to shut down disagreements, I think, is spilling over into the public spaces as well.
0: So you are both uh, researchers, but you're also people of faith, and I presume you regularly attend church. What opportunities do you feel are there now, are here now in Canada for the church based on everything you've just shared, this talk about tolerance and public square and just who and how we are in our communities? What what good news is there for us uh, to engage with on this?
2: A quick thing that we've already mentioned is that you know we're seeing a growing number of canadians who have no religious background at all and so uh sort of a negative view of the church is, is less common than it used to be and so we uh, people i think would be more open to to faith in general at least you know checking out a church or whatever else than they were before
0: yeah i like that I'm, i might actually invite someone to church <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Rick? What opportunities do we have?
1: I think that there's opportunities that come along with being clear-eyed about what's happening in in the culture and to uh, just think about our place and how we're perceived. As long as we think that we're operating from sort of a Christendom model where we're sort of that dominant prophetic voice that is is sort of the conscience of the country and that we're setting the rules that if that is not the reality here, then we're going to behave in a way that is probably counterproductive in our culture. We want people to come to Christ, to find Christ and his church to be winsome. And I think that we have to pay attention to our posture, to our tone and timber about how we speak into the culture, about how we present ourselves. And I think this gives us an opportunity to, uh, to reevaluate and to ask some hard questions about whether we're doing that well. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence in this survey anyway that what we have been doing is particularly effective in terms of evangelism. And by that, I I mean we're not seeing many people coming from uh, a non-religious background into a church of any kind.
2: Let me add one thing here too, uh, Karen. It's interesting in the tolerance research that Orthodoxy when properly measured is not something that has a negative effect on tolerance. So people who are Orthodox in their faith believe all the traditional views of Christianity or whatever are not necessarily more, more intolerant. What we do find though, is the way they hold those beliefs. So people who are religious and Orthodox who have a, what we call a right wing authoritarian or fundamentalist or dogmatic, approach to their beliefs where I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And so I can ignore you and I can kind of shove my view down your throat. That kind of a uh, aggressive or militant uh, way that they hold the beliefs. Uh, one where everything's black and white, we could say it's, it's that that is shown to be intolerant. So it's not the beliefs per se. It seems to be the way this kind of aggressive uh, way that people hold these beliefs that really uh, makes the difference. So if we as a Christian church can lose that authoritarian, fundamentalist uh, way of thinking about, about truth, um, everything being my way or the highway, then I think that uh, we can engage our culture in better ways. And we can, we can do it in the kind of tone that Rick is talking about in ways that are winsome and open and uh, considering other people's views without shutting them down completely.
0: Which feels deeply Christ-like to me.
2: I would agree. I think that uh, we have to recognize in our society that we are no longer the dominant voices, we're operating from the margins, and we have to engage society in ways that are not compromising but also in ways that recognize that other people don't view things the way we do and that the authority has moved outside the church and to the individual themselves. The individual has the right to define what they believe in in, in and of themselves, and the notions of an external authority like the Lordship of Christ is quite foreign. And so we have to begin at a different place when we talk to people about faith.
0: I know you looked at other topics in the survey, like Sabbath and Bible reading and the uh, January-February issue of Faith Today. Uh, We have a cover story about these survey results, and we also have some of the other stats available. So people can find out uh, more about the survey by contacting us and requesting a copy of Faith Today. We'd be happy to send it to them. But how else can people find some of the stuff online, Rick? Is there a place we can direct them?
1: Yes, uh, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada has a website where we'll be posting uh, links to things like this podcast, uh, Faith Today articles, and other things that we'll be writing based on the survey. But we will be producing uh, different documents uh, throughout the year.
0: Beautiful. So uh, you can visit the efc.ca, but we will um, share that link as well. Rick and Sam, thank you so much. It's uh, really, really interesting material, and I think ultimately hopeful the way you shared at the end. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.